Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about investing in the share market. Really a bit of a beginner's guide if you like. Now, I find a lot of people uh, view investing in the stock market as very complex and, and potentially sort of scary or, or um, not very comfortable. And I think most of that really comes about as a result of a lack of understanding of how the market works, how stocks are valued, how you should invest, and also how to avoid the sort of common mistakes which I have um, previously uh, blogged about. So I thought it was a good time to sort of take a step back and instead of talking about index funds and managed funds and these sorts of things, uh, talk about just the basics in respect to the share market. So as always, there's lots of uh, links and uh, charts and so forth in the show notes and obviously on the blog and our website. So if you need more information, uh, certainly uh, have a look there. So let's start by talking about, well, how does the stock market work and how does the market value a share in a company? And essentially the market, the stock market really is just a, a place where buyers and sellers come. And a buyer will um, bid to the market what it's willing to pay for a particular share. So, you know, I might say, look, I'd like to buy 2,000 shares in CBA and I don't want to pay over $79 a share. Uh, and sellers will uh, come to that market and bid what they're prepared to sell for. So another seller might say, look, I'm prepared to sell 2,000 shares in uh, CBA, but I want $80. And uh, so more and more participants come into the market, they bid what they're prepared to buy and sell, and when those prices obviously meet in the middle, a deal is done. Now today that's done all electronically. In Australia prior to 1990, it was done on chalkboards, and you'll see in older movies. So for those, or, or for those that are listening that are old enough to remember, um, that you know the chalkies in the uh, in the stock exchange. Uh, so in the show notes, I've got a, a a screen print of like the bid of buy and sell, and really, if you've got access to uh, an online share broker like Comsec or MCM. Um, you can go and have a look at um, that for each individual stock. That is, how many buyers, how many sellers, what are they bidding, how many units or volume do they really want to um, to purchase. And it's an important information in respect to a stock as well uh, because it shows you how popular it is and what the depth is. And that'll, that'll tell you how liquid the stock is. And really, you want to be investing in stocks that are, that have a reasonable amount of volume because then you can... Um, it gives you comfort that the share price is reflective of the current value of the business, or at least indicatively, but we'll talk about that in just a second. Uh, so really, the share market is pretty much like an auction, really, to some degree, a, a property auction where people are bidding, um, but buyers, both buyers and sellers are bidding. Uh, so that's what the market values a share at, but how do you know what the true intrinsic value of a of a, a share price is well there's a, a financial in financial theory there's something called the efficient market hypothesis and that really the hypothesis really is that um, there's lots of participants in the market uh, and uh, as a result of uh, all those and, and most people in the that are trading in the share market are professionals so they're trading for institutions super funds uh, fund managers and so forth now they're spending 40 to 60 hours a week uh, researching their investment decisions 
And so the efficient market hypothesis suggests that the share price reflects all the publicly available information in relation to that stock and therefore is a is a fair representation of its intrinsic value. Essentially, the efficient market hypothesis says the market is very efficient and the share price is is correct. Um, I don't I don't really I mean I think but the efficient market hypothesis is correct in the long run, but in the short run, popularity can certainly and fear and greed can certainly uh, change uh, share prices and uh, away from fundamentals. Uh, so really, from a fundamental perspective, the value of a company is the present value of its future cash flows. That's it. It's, it's very simple. That is, that if I, if I have a company and over the next 10 years it's going to generate a million dollars in profit after tax, so $10 million over 10 years, then what is the present value of that money today? Now, the present value means you've got a discount the dollars back because, you know, a million dollars in 10 years, uh, firstly, it's not going to be because of inflation, not going to be worth what a million dollars is today. And then secondly, you need to account for the risk. You know, maybe that it, it, it continues to produce a million dollars a year profit, but, you know, there is there is risk on the upside and downside. And so you need to apply a discount rate, which is really an interest rate to accommodate that. And that's, that's all the value of a company uh, really is. Um, so the key thing then to look at is profitability and cash flows. So some cash flow will come to you as a dividend, but sometimes uh, companies will retain some cash flow uh, to reinvest in the business. It doesn't matter which way it comes to you as long as they're reinvesting uh, in, the, in, in the right way. So, uh, but, but sometimes you find stocks uh, that are doing well from a share price appreciation perspective that don't actually generate any free cash flow, any profit. Um, and there's only really two reasons that that occurs. Firstly, uh, the stock market believes that that company's business model is so compelling that it's going to generate strong profits in the future and therefore they want to get in early. Or secondly, uh, the people are speculating on the stock price, that they're really it's a momentum buy that the momentum of the share price is on the way up and then if you can ride that momentum and make a, a short profit, um, then all that, 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 that's a, a good outcome. I would argue both of those uh, elements are speculating. They're not really fundamental investing. So really we need to be looking at a, a company's uh, cash flow. Uh, so now let me talk quickly about some of the key terms and, and when some of the key terms and measures and when to um, look at them and use them. So the first one is earnings per share or the acronym EPS uh, and that's really just the amount of profit after tax that a company makes divided by the number of shares on issue. So um, uh, for example I might own a stock that's uh, worth $10 per share and the EPS might be $2 which means that um, in uh, I've paid five times the earnings uh, of, of uh, investing in that company, which feels which, which feels very low, and you'd be really comfortable, I think, to invest at that level. Whereas if you've got a ten dollars stock and the earnings per share is one cent, then you know that you know you've got to you've got to really hold that. If unless the cash flow change changes, you've got to hold that stock for a long period of time, which is good segue into the next and probably probably the most important uh, measure, which is a PE ratio, which is, stands for price earnings. Ratio. So what all it is is the share price divided by the EPS. So as I explained, the, the earnings per share um, as a percentage of the overall share price. Uh, 
Now, the long-term average in the Australian market is about 15. So that is that the, the market values on average companies at 15 times their annual earnings. Um, but in the top 200, PEs range typically from 10 to 25. So anything below 10 is very cheap. Anything over 25 starts to look expensive, although it is different for different industries. So you need to um, uh, make allowances for that. Um, so the price that you pay for a stock, that is the value that you're getting at the, t- at the beginning, it typically determines your outcomes. Because if I'm going to pay 100 times earnings, so a Netflix, for example, is 118 times earnings. And Netflix is listed in the US, not in, not in Australia. If I'm paying 118 times earnings, you know, the, there's very little upside after I've paid for that because I'm essentially paying for really all the upside that could potentially come uh, in relation to that stock. Whereas I can buy ANZ, for example, at 12.6 times earnings. That feels a little bit more comfortable. Um, to, to put it in context with how Netflix is valued, and I'm just picking on Netflix because it is a, a real a, a big sort of standout, but if your local pizza shop made, say, $100,000 of profit, it would be akin to you going and buying that business for $11.8 million, nearly $12 million for a pizza shop. You're not going to do it. In fact, you you would probably be an idiot if you did it. But people are investing in Netflix on the on that basis. It really doesn't make a lot of sense. So earnings per share and P ratio, really important. Next one is dividend yield. And the dividend yield is really the percentage of income that you're going to receive from that stock. You can have a net yield or grossed up yield, and that depends on whether it's got imputation credits. That's only applicable applicable for Australian stocks. The market yield is around about, you know, the ASX 200 is around about 4.2%, 4.3%. The higher the dividend yield you get, arguably the lower the risk the stock is. Because if I'm investing in shares and let's say I want an 8% return on average and I'm getting 5% as a dividend, then really I only need 3% capital growth to justify the investment. Whereas if I'm getting zero dividends then really I need 8% of capital growth to justify the investment. So banking a yield each year does reduce the stock uh, stock's risk, and you just need to balance that out at a portfolio level. Some you'll have high dividend stocks, some low dividend stocks. The next term is called beta, and the beta measures a stock's risk or volatility relative to the market. So a a stock with a beta of one means it will move in line with the market. If the market rises 10%, your stock will rise 10% typically. If the market falls uh, 10%, it'll fall by 10%. But if you had a a beta of, say, 1.5, it means that the market rises by 10%, your stock is likely to rise by 15. And and conversely, if it falls by 10, it's likely to fall by 15. And so it, it measures the sensitivity or the risk of that stock compared to the overall market. And you don't want to be investing in a, a lot of high beta stocks because obviously your portfolio is going to be relatively volatile. Uh, the next term is average volume. And average volume is really the average number of shares traded per day. It tells you how liquid, obviously, the stock is. Um, and so a, high, a stock with a high turnover typically has a more reliable price because uh, many more people, uh, participants in the market, are buying and selling with different views and different information on the day, and it's reflected uh, in the share price. Uh, so you, that that gives you comfort that you're paying the market value, one. And two, if you want to exit that investment, it gives you comfort, some level of comfort that when you when it comes time to exit, there'll be a market to sell to. 
historic earnings growth rate um, is, a, is a good measure as well. You know, and that's really uh, you, what you're looking for is a couple of things. Stability of earnings. So have earnings, company profits changed very much over the, over the last, say, five years or, or are they relatively stable? And what's the growth trajectory been like and what do, what do we expect the growth trajectory to be like? Typically, uh, investors are going to pay a higher price for companies with either lower risks, so more stable cash flows, and or higher growth. Um, dividend cover or dividend payout ratio is another one to look at. So that really refers to how much of the profit do they pay out as a dividend. Um, you don't necessarily want to receive 100% of the profits as dividends because it means that the business doesn't have any money left over to reinvest in their business. But by the same token, if the dividend payout is zero, as I said, your risk is higher because you're really relying upon management to reinvest those monies wisely, reinvest those profits wisely. So they're the key, uh, the key terms that you really need to be familiar with and how to use them and, and sort of when to use them. So just to recap, earnings per share, the PE ratio, dividend yield, a stock's beta, average volume, earnings growth rate and dividend cover or dividend payout ratio. They're the key terms to really look at, to really understand whether a stock is viable, how risky is it, what's the likelihood of its fundamentals. And remember, fundamentals in the long run rise to the top. Popularity is only a short-term contest. Okay, so how do you how do you construct a portfolio? Well, there's probably really three things to think about. The first one is the number of stocks that you hold. And the common theme in all the historical analysis of returns and portfolio construction and uh, investment strategies and the like is really the common theme, the common thread is really around diversification. That's the key. You need to have a really diversified portfolio. What does that mean? Well, typically it means not having more than 5% of your portfolio in any one stock. And statistically, uh, to um, diversify unsystematic risk, uh, you need to have 20 to 25 stocks in your portfolio. More is better, but less than 20 stocks, you're typically not really achieving a lot of diversification. That's the first one. The second one is sector diversification. So typically stocks are allocated into 11 different sectors, things like financials, healthcare, industrial, consumer staples, energy, utilities, materials, etc., um, and what you want to do is make sure you're not overexposed to a particular sector in context of the, the index weightings. So, for example, financials make up 31% of the ASX 200 index in Australia. Now, if I'm investing in Australia, because of that dominance in financials, I'm probably, if I'm investing in direct shocks, stocks, I'm probably going to have a, a large exposure to the financials. That's fine but I really don't want much more of my portfolio than 30% in financials because then it feels like I'm really not having or achieving a lot of diversification. So you want sector diversification. And the last one is that you want to pick uh, the correct stock. And how do, you do, how do you do that? Well, it's really about looking at three components. Firstly, the quality of the stock, and that really goes to stability of earnings, strong profitability, low debt, strong balance sheet, these sorts of things. The, the growth prospects of the stock, and that's really the, the industry's growth trajectory or the business model within the stock. And then the last one is fair price. So you're paying a fair price for that stock. 
which is, you know, obviously the lower the PE you pay for that particular stock, the, the greater the chance there is for upside. And conversely, if you're paying a very high PE, you know, maybe there's not a lot of upside there. So quality growth and fair price, they're the three things to consider. Okay, let's talk about all the things that can go wrong. Uh, so what are the common mistakes? And there are four really common mistakes. Very quickly, the first one is a complete absence of methodology, really just making ad hoc decisions. Let's buy this stock today without really thinking of portfolio level or long term. Um, Mistake number two, chasing quick profits. Uh, You know, short term success does not create long term value for anyone. It's really about um, trying to make long term financial decisions. Number three, no patience. So that is making a good quality decision and then losing faith Um, when you haven't really given the strategy enough time to work. And number four, almost no diversification. Find that, you know, typically people invest too much in one particular stock and really lack a lot of diversification. I would add to that, and so there's a link to that um, blog that I wrote a couple of years ago in the show notes. I would add to that um, that uh, direct share investors almost always, in fact, I haven't seen one investor benchmark their returns. So if you're going to invest in direct shares, if you're going to invest your money and make your own financial decisions, surely you'd want to know whether you're doing a good job or not. Um, Because uh, if you're not doing a good job, well, maybe you need to find another way of doing it. So I don't find any uh, share investors benchmark their returns. You know, they might sell sell down dud stocks, and so the only stocks they've got left in their portfolio are the ones that are in profit, and they feel very good about that. But they need to look at look back each year and say, okay, what have I traded? What have I held? What's the return? And then therefore, what's the return over the long run? And am I better off just putting my money somewhere else and not bothering? Um, and I, I, I think most people don't benchmark their returns, uh, probably because of their ego. Ignorance is bliss. I would imagine if they did benchmark their returns, they'd find they're actually not doing a very good job. Um, but ignorance won't ever help you build wealth or achieve financial independence. Okay, so let's wrap this up. What's the best way to invest in shares? Should you, if you've got a desire to, go out and start a a direct share portfolio or is there a better way? Well, definitely do not invest in direct shares. You know, even the professionals struggle to achieve good results. In fact, just recently S&P released the most up-to-date results for the year ending 30 June 2019, so the financial year just ended. 93.23%, 93% of active fund managers failed to beat the index last year. Now, that's that's professional managers. How in the hell do you think you're going to be able to do it by investing in direct shares? So if you've got a hankering to invest in direct shares, if it's just a bit of fun, a bit of play money, no big deal. If it's really part of your core uh, investment strategy, don't do it. There's two options. First option is if you're... um, if you've got a lot of money to invest, and I say a lot of money, maybe fifty, hundred thousand uh, dollars $100,000, go and seek the advice uh, from an independent financial advisor. Because what you need to do is construct a portfolio of, of uh, many low-cost index funds. Typically, I would use 8 to 10 that use various uh, rules-based methodologies, so not just traditional market cap indexing and adopting tactical tilts within your asset allocation to accommodate the risks and opportunities that are currently present in the marketplace. So you need that the portfolio construction is critical uh, in terms of capturing returns and reducing the portfolio's risk. 
if you don't have a lot of money and you're just starting out, you know, if it's just a little bit of small money at the beginning, um, then really the best uh, strategy, in my opinion, is using Vanguard's diversified ETFs. So Vanguard offers uh, exchange-traded funds that you can buy on the ASX, um, and they've already got the asset allocation in the fund. So it already has exposure to domestic and international shares, bonds, emerging markets, and smaller companies. They're all low-cost index funds, so they're all uh, market cap indexing, which isn't perfect, but it's better. At least Vanguard looks after the asset allocation in terms of how much in Aussie, how much in US, how much in um, international, etc., uh, and you can do that just using like a, a online share trading account like Comsec or, or whatever. It's a perfect solution for smaller investment amounts, particularly if you've got you know for, for um, parents, if you've got some monies uh, for for kids, the kids have accumulated or saved from gifts, presents, and so forth. Uh, that's a great way to invest your kids' monies. Uh, so there you go. Uh, as always, there's more information in the show notes and links and so forth. I hope that's been uh, interesting. Sorry that the podcast's a little bit longer this week, uh, but until next week, bye for now. Cheers.